Chapter Six of The Sorcery Club by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Six: The First Power. After their rencontre with the unknown, Hamar and his companions did not get back to their respective quarters till the sun was high in the heavens and the streets of the city were beginning to vibrate with the rattle and clatter of traffic it's all very well this wonderful compact of ours curtis grumbled but i'm deuced hungry and matt and i haven't a cent between us as we went all that way last night to oblige you leon i think it is only fair that you should stand a treat i'll bet you have some nickels stowed away somewhere in those pockets of yours it wouldn't be you if you hadn't what do you say matt i think as you do kelson replied we've stood by leon he should stand by us how much have you leon how much have you curtis echoed come out with it no jew jewing pals for me i might manage a dollar hamar said ruefully as the prospect of a good meal all to himself at his favourite restaurant faded away where shall we go just then kelson happening to look behind him saw a young woman of prepossessing appearance ascending the steps of a dive in clay street he was instantly attracted as he always was attracted by a pretty woman and something a kind of intuition he had never had before told him that she was a waitress that she was discontented with her present situation that she was engaged to be married to a pen-driver at hastings and hastings in sacramento street and that she had a mother of over seventy whom she kept all this came to kelson like a flash of lightning yielding to an impulse which he did not stay to analyze he gripped hamar and curtis each too astonished even to remonstrate by the arm and dragging them along with him followed the girl the dive had only just been opened and was being dusted and swept by two slatternly women with dago complexions and voices like hyenas it still reeked of stale drink and tobacco what's the good of coming to a place like this hamar demanded as soon as he had freed himself from kelson's clutches we can't get breakfast here matt's mad that's what's the matter with him curtis added in disgust let's get out he turned to go then halted and stood still he appeared to be listening what's up with you hamar asked both you fellows are behaving like lunatics this morning there's not a pin to choose between you they're playing cards that's all curtis said can't you hear them hamar shook his head not a sound he said just look at matt while the other two were talking kelson had followed the girl to the bar and catching her up just as she entered it said in a manner that was peculiar to him a manner seldom without effect upon girls of his class i beg your pardon miss are we too early to be served jerusalem haven't i met you somewhere before the girl looked him square in the eyes and then smiled as like as not she said i go pretty near everywhere what do you want well kelson soliloquized breakfast is what we are particularly anxious for but i suppose that is out of the question in a dive then why did you come here the girl queried because of you simply because of you kelson replied you hypnotized me that being so then i reckon you can have your breakfast the girl laughed though we don't provide them as a rule before nine 
indeed the management have only just decided this morning on providing them at all how odd why odd the girl questioned taking off her hat and arranging her curls before a mirror why that i should have happened to strike the right moment had i come here yesterday it would have been useless as i said you hypnotized me evidently fate intended us to meet do you believe in fate the girl asked shrugging her shoulders i believe in nothing least of all in men you say so kelson observed before he knew what he was saying and yet you have just got engaged to one but you've got a bad attack of the pip this morning you have had enough of it here you want to get another post the girl ceased doing her hair and eyed him in amazement well she said of all the queer men i've ever met you are the queerest are you a seer no hamar observed suddenly joining in he's only very hungry miss hungry body and soul hungry all over and so are we well then go into the room over there the girl cried pointing in the direction of a half-open door and breakfast will be brought you in half a jiffy who's that playing cards curtis asked how do you know anyone is playing cards the girl queried with an incredulous stare you can't see through walls can you no but i'm hanged if i can explain curtis said i seem to hear them there are two one is called arnold and the other lemon or some such name and they are rehearsing certain card tricks they mean to play to-night that's right the girl said two men named arnold and lemon are here they were playing all last night with two of the clerks in willow's bank in sacramento street and they cleared them out of every cent you knew it no i didn't curtis growled i don't lie for fun and i'm just as much in a fog as to how i know as you are let's have breakfast now and we'll look up these two gents afterwards if they haven't gone your friend's a brute i don't like him the girl whispered to kelson let him lose all he's got you stay out here nothing i should like better kelson said it's a bargain the breakfast was so good that they lingered long over it and the barroom had a fair sprinkling of people when they re-entered it leaving kelson to chat with the girl hamar and curtis obeying her directions found their way to a small parlour in the rear of the building where two men were lolling over a card table smoking and drinking and reading aloud extracts from a pink sporting paper it's a funny thing one of them exclaimed we can't be allowed to sit here in peace when there's so much spare space in the house we beg your pardon for intruding curtis said but my friend and i came in here for a quiet game of cards we're farmers down missouri way and don't often get the chance to run up to town farmers are you the man who had not yet spoken said eyeing them both closely you don't look it my friend lemon here and i were also wanting to have a game would you care to join us by all means curtis at once exclaimed what do you play poker the man said nap done but i'll show you something first which being fresh from the country you've probably never seen before though they do tell me people in missouri are mighty cute he then proceeded to show them what he called the bull and buffalo trick the secret of which he offered to sell them for ten dollars i wouldn't give you a cent for it curtis snapped anyone can see how it is done you can't the man retorted turning red i'll wager twenty dollars you can't curtis accepted the wager and at once did the trick 
he had seen through it at a glance there appeared no difficulty in it at all and yet he was quite certain if he had been asked to do it the day before he would have utterly failed now he said give me the money and the man complied with an oath any more tricks curtis asked complacently i know heaps the man rejoined there's one you won't guess the seven card trick he did it and so did curtis well i'm the man called lemon ejaculated he's the dandiest tobit tricks we've ever struck try him with the prince and slipper arnold arnold rather reluctantly assented and curtis burst out laughing why he said that's the simplest of all see and it was done you two had better come to an understanding with us or you'll not shine to-night how about a game of dawn lemon and arnold agreed but they had barely begun before curtis cried out it's no use lemon i can see those deuces up your sleeve you've some up yours too arnold the deuce of clubs and the deuce of hearts moreover you can tell our cards by notches and thumb smears on the back i'll show you how he told the cards correctly there was no gainsaying it the men were overwhelmed what are you anyway lemon asked tex never mind what we are curtis said savagely we know what you are and that's where the rub comes in now what are you going to pay us to hold our tongues pay you lemon hissed why damn you nothing we're not bankers all we've got to do is clear out and try somewhere else that might not be so easy as you imagine hamar interposed we would make it our business to have a scene first why not come to terms we'll not be over exorbitant and consider the convenience of not having to shift your quarters well of all the blooming frosts i've struck none beats this Helen said fancy being pipped by a couple of suckers like these farmers indeed why don't you call yourselves parsons how much do you want after a prolonged haggling hamar and curtis agreed to take fifty dollars and considering their penniless condition they were by no means dissatisfied with their bargain they were now ready to go and looking round for kelson found him engaged in a desperate tete-a-tete with the young lady at the bar who despite her avowed lack of faith in mankind counted half the room her friends she promised kelson that she would meet him at eight o'clock that evening but as both she and he were quite used to making such promises and subsequently forgetting all about them their rencontre resulted only in one thing namely in furnishing the three allies with the nucleus of the big fortune they intended making on finding themselves outside the dive hamar curtis and kelson first of all divided the spoil then they went to a clothes depot and rigged themselves out in fashionably cut garments after which they took rooms at a presentable hotel in kearney street next door to nobbles boot store then dressed for the first time in their lives like knob hill dukes they paraded the pet resorts of the beaumont of the bonanza and railroad set and making eyes at all the pretty wives and daughters they met cogitated fresh devices for making money as they sauntered across pacific avenue in the direction of californian street kelson suddenly gave vent to a whistle what the deuce is wrong with you hamar exclaimed seen your grandmother's ghost no but i've seen the inner readings of that lady yonder kelson replied indicating with a jerk of his finger a fashionably dressed woman walking towards them on the other side of the road 
the deuce knows how it all comes to me but i know everything about her just the same as i did with the girl on the dive though i've never seen her before she is the wife of d d belton the cotton magnate who lives in a big white house at the corner of powell street and a beauty i can assure you supposed to be most devoted to her husband she is now on her way to keep an appointment with the rev j t calthorpe of sancta maria's church in appleyard street with whom she has been holding clandestine meetings for the past six months whew hammer ejaculated you speak as if it was all being pumped into you by some external agency automatically that's just about what i feel kelson said i feel as if it were someone else saying all this someone else speaking through me yet i know all about that woman just as much as if i had been acquainted with her all my life it's the first power hamar said excitedly the power of divination it takes that form with you and the form of card tricks with ed with me nothing so far but what shall i do kelson cried how can i benefit by it how can't you curtis growled why blackmail her if it is true she will pay you anything to keep your mouth shut if once you can tell a woman's secret your future's made all san francisco will be at your mercy god knows who'll escape after her at once you idiot now kelson gasped yes now follow her to calthorpe's and waylay her as she comes out you can refer to us as witnesses i feel a bit of a blackguard kelson pleaded you look it anyway curtis grinned but cheer up it's the clothes clothes are responsible for everything after a little persuasion kelson gave in but he had to make haste as the lady was nearly out of sight she took a taxi from the stand opposite kitson's hotel and kelson took one too two hours later raising his hat he accosted her as she stood tapping the pavement of battery street with a daintily shod foot waiting to cross mrs belton i think he said the lady eyed him coldly well she said what do you want who are you my name can scarcely matter to you kelson responded though my business may i have been engaged to watch you and am fully posted as to your meetings and correspondence with the rev j t calthorpe i don't understand you the lady said her cheeks flaming you have made a mistake a very serious mistake for you for a moment kelson's heart failed he was still a clerk with all the humility of an office stool and shining trousers seat thick on him whilst she was a grand dame accustomed to the bows and scrapes of employers as well as employed several people passed by and stared at him as he thought suspiciously and he felt that this was the most critical time in his life and unless he pulled through smartly in fact he would be done once and for all if he didn't make haste too the woman would undoubtedly call a policeman it was this thought as well as though perhaps hardly as much as the look of her that stimulated kelson to action he hated behaving badly to women but was this thing dressed in a skirt that fitted like a glove and showed up every detail of her figure this thing with the paint on her cheeks and eyebrows and lips artistically done perhaps but done all the same this thing all loaded with jewelry and buttons this thing a woman no she was not she was only a millionaire's plaything brainless heartless a hobby that cost thousands whilst countless men such as he starved he detested abominated such luxuries and thus nerved he retorted borrowing some of her imperiousness 
do you deny madam that for the past two hours you've been sitting on the sofa of the end room of the third floor of number two sixteen market street flirting with the reverend j t calthorpe whom you call mickey moo that you gave him a photo you had taken at bell's studio in clay street specially for him that you gave him five greenbacks to the value of one hundred and fifty dollars and that you've planned a moonlight promenade with him to-morrow when your husband will be in denver don't talk so loud the lady said in a low voice walk along with me a little and then we shan't be noticed i see you do know a good deal how i can't imagine unless you were hidden somewhere in the room who has employed you to watch me that madam i can't say kelson truthfully responded and i can't think the lady said unless it is some woman enemy but after all you can't do much since you hold no proofs your word alone will count for nothing ah but i have strong corroborative evidence kelson retorted i have the testimony of at least two other people who know quite as much as i do adventurers like yourself the lady sneered my husband would never believe you nor your friends he would believe your letters anyway said kelson my letters the lady laughed you've no letters of mine no but i know where the correspondence that has passed between you and the reverend j t calthorpe is to be found he has sixty-nine letters from you all tied up in pink ribbon locked up in the bottom drawer of the bureau in his study at the vicarage some of the letters begin with dearest duckiest handsomest herbie short for herbert and others fondest blondest darlingest mickey moo some end with a thousand and one kisses from your loving and ever devoted francesca and others with love and kisses ad infinitum ever your loving thirsting adoring one tootsie nice letters from the wife of a respectable knob hill magnate to a married clergyman the lady walked a trifle unsteadily and much of her colour was gone i can't understand it she panted someone has played me false as the reverend j t calthorpe is on his way to sacramento where he has to remain till to-morrow kelson went on pitilessly it will be the easiest thing in the world to get those letters i have merely to call at the house and tell his wife and what good will that do you the lady asked revenge i hate the rich kelson said i would do anything to injure them you are a socialist an anarchist but come you see i know all about you and that i have you completely in my power if once either your husband or mrs calthorpe gets a hold of those letters you and your lover would have a very unpleasant time of it you're a devil maybe i am at all events i'm talking to one that's neither here nor there i want money give me a thousand dollars and you'll never hear from me again blackmail i could have you arrested yes and i would tell the court the whole story of your intrigues that wouldn't help you and kelson laughed could i count on you not molesting me again if i were to pay you the lady said mockingly you could do you ever speak the truth you needn't judge every one by your own standard of morality the standard set up by the millionaire's wife kelson said i swear that if you pay me a thousand dollars i will never trouble you again the lady grew thoughtful and for some minutes neither of them spoke then she suddenly jerked out i think after all i'll accept your proposal wait outside here and you shall have what you want within an hour 
not good enough kelson said i prefer to come with you to your house and wait there the lady protested and kelson consented to wait in the street outside her house where eventually she delivered the money into his hands i've kept my word she said and if you're half a man you'll keep yours kelson reassured her and more than pleased with himself made for the hotel where the three of them were now stopping this was merely a beginning before the day was out he had secured two more victims no woman whose character was not without blemish was safe from him his wonderful newly acquired gift enabling him to detect any vice no matter how snugly hidden and this wonderful power of discernment brought with it an expression of mystery and penetration which by enhancing the effect of the power made the application of it comparatively easy kelson had only to glide after his victim and with his eyes fixed searchingly on her to say madam may i have a word with you and the battle was more than half won the women were too fascinated to think of resistance for example shortly after his initial adventure he saw a very smartly dressed woman in van ness avenue peep about furtively and then stop to speak to a little child who was walking with its nurse divination at once told him everything the lady was the mother of the child but its father was not her legitimate husband w s hobson the millionaire mine owner when kelson courteously informed her he was in possession of her secret a secret she had felt positively certain only one other person knew she went the colour of her pea-green sunshade and attempted to remonstrate but kelson's appearance no less than his marvellous knowledge of her life and character dumbfounded her she was simply paralysed into admission and before he left her kelson had added another thousand dollars to his hoard that evening close to the academy of science in market street he saw a lady get out of a taxi and quickly enter a pawnbroker's her whole life at once rose up before him she was ella crockford the wife of the californian street sugar king and unknown to her husband she spent her afternoons at a gambling saloon in kearney street where she ran through thousands she was now about to pledge her husband's latest present to her a diamond tiara one of the most notable pieces of jewellery in the country in the hope that she would soon win back sufficient money at cards to redeem it kelson stopped her as she came out and in a marvellously few words proved to her he knew everything her amazement was beyond description you must be a magician she said because i'm certain no one saw me take my jewel case out of the drawer no one was in the room and as i put it in my muff immediately no one could have seen it as i left the house besides i never told a soul i intended pawning it so how is it possible you could know and be able to repeat the whole of the conversation i had with walter legrand to whom i lost so heavily last night tell me how do you know all this but kelson would tell her nothing nothing beyond her own sins and misfortunes i have nothing to give you she told him i dare not ask my husband for more money what nothing kelson replied when the pawnbroker has just advanced you fifty thousand dollars you call that nothing be pleased to give me one thousand and congratulate yourself that i do not ask for all your nothing and as neither tears nor prayers had any effect she was obliged to pay him the sum he asked flushed and excited with victory and thinking perhaps that he had done enough for one day kelson took his spoils to a bank near the palace hotel 
and for the first time in his career opened a banking account as he was leaving the building he ran into hamar bent on a similar errand the two gleefully compared notes i thought hamar said my turn would never come and that i must have done something to get out of favour with the unknown but as i was sitting in the pig and whistle saloon in corn street drinking a lager i suddenly felt a peculiar throbbing sensation run up my left leg into my left hand and the floor seemed to open up and i saw deep below me in a black pit a skeleton clutching hold of a linen bag full of coins i could see the gold quite distinctly spanish doubles none newer than the eighteenth century i knew then that the unknown had not forgotten me look here boss i said to old man moss the proprietor you know you're a bit of a juggins to go on working with so much money under here and i pointed to the floor i'm surprised at you hamar moss said cocking an eye at me and logger too no old man i said i'm not drunk i'm sober and serious you've got a cellar below here haven't you well and what if i have moss retorted drawing a step closer and running his eyes carefully over me what if i have there's no harm in that is there you keep all your stock down there i went on and more beside i can see a hat pin with a gold knob that's not your wife's and a pair of shoes with dandy silver buckles that's not intended for your wife nohow at that moss made a queer noise in his throat and i thought he was going to have a fit what what the devil are you talking about he gurgled i wish i had had you with me then matt for you could have doubtless summed up the woman to him she was a blank to me i only divined one had been there yes mr mossy i said you're a gay deceiver and no mistake i know all about it do you he said eyeing me excitedly do you know all about it i am not so sure but in order to avoid running any risks drop your voice a bit and have a cocktail with me he poured me out one and i went on softly well boss moss i said we'll leave the female out of the question for the present underneath this cellar of yours is a pit i'm damned if there is moss snorted leastways it's the first i've ever heard of it and in this pit i said is the skeleton of a spanish buccaneer called don guzman who landed in this port on august tenth sixteen ninety nine and after robbing and slicing up a family of the name of ervada who lived on the site of what is now the copthorne hotel was hurrying off with all their money and jewels when he fell into a pit covered with brambles and briars and broke his neck and you expect me to believe this cock-and-bull story moss growled being out of a job so long has made you balmy it hasn't made me too balmy not to see through the way you deceive your wife moss i said i'll bet she would think me sane enough if i were to tell her all i know but i'll spare you if you will take me into your cellar and help me do a bit of excavation there but promise mind you that we will go shares in what we find oh i'll promise right enough moss replied i'll promise anything if only to keep you from talking such moonshine well in the end i prevailed upon him to accompany me and we went into the cellar just as i had depicted it armed with a pickaxe and crowbar moss growling and jeering every step he took and i deadly in earnest it's under there i said halting over a flagstone in the corner of the vault but before we do anything you had better hide that hat pin in those shoes or your missus will find them she'll hear us scraping and come to see what's up 
moss who was in a vile temper all the time made a grab at the things pricking his finger and swearing horribly in the meanwhile i had set to work and with his aid raised the stone we dug for pretty nearly an hour moss calling upon me all the time to chuck it when i suddenly struck something hard it was the skeleton and close beside it was the bag you should have seen moss then he was simply overcome called me a wizard a magician and heaven alone knows what and fairly stood on his head with delight when we opened the bag and hundreds of gold coins and precious stones rolled out on the floor he wanted to go back on his word then and only give me a handful but i was too smart for him and swore that i would tell his wife about the girl unless he gave me half when we were leaving the cellar of course he wanted me to go first so that he could follow me with the pickaxe but here again i was too sharp for him and i got safely out of the place with my pockets bulging i went right away to prescott's in clay street and let the lot go for three thousand dollars i wonder how curtis has got on they walked together to the hotel and found curtis busily engaged eating i've worked hard he said and now i'm in for enjoying myself i've made them get out a special menu for me and i'm going to eat till i can't hold another morsel i've starved all my life and now i intend making up for it been successful hamar asked winking at kelson pretty well nothing to grumble at curtis rejoined pouring himself out a glass of champagne first of all i went to simpson's dive in sacramento street and started doing the tricks we discovered yesterday not a soul in the place could see through them and i made about two hundred dollars before i left i then had lunch why you had lunch with us hamar laughed well can't i have as many lunches as i like curtis replied i had lunch i say at a place in market street and there i read in a paper that peters and purvis the tin food people were offering a prize of three thousand dollars for a solution to a puzzle contained on the inside cover of one of their tins i immediately determined to enter for it i bought a tin and saw through the puzzle at once bribing a policeman to go with me to see fair play off i set to peters and purvis i want to see your boss i said to the first clerk i saw which of them the clerk grunted his cheeks turning white at the sight of the policeman either will do i replied peters or purvis trot em up time is precious away he went but in a couple of minutes he was back again looking scared they're both engaged he says then they'll have to break it off i responded and mighty quick i'm here to talk with them so get a move on again and give that message if it hadn't been for the policeman i don't think he would have gone but the policeman backed me up and the clerk hurried off again and in the end the bosses decided they had better see me they looked precious cross i can assure you but before i had done speaking they looked crosser still you say you've done that puzzle they shouted the puzzle that has stuck all the mathematical guns at harvard and yale you a nonentity like you begone sir don't waste our time with such humbug as that all right i said give me some paper and a pen and i'll prove it that's very reasonable the policeman chipped in do the thing fair and square i'm here as a witness well with much grunting and grumbling they handed me paper and ink and in a trice the puzzle was done and it appeared so easy that the policeman clapped his hands and broke out into a loud guffaw my eyes you should have seen how the faces of purvis and peters fell and have heard what they said but it was no use swearing and cursing the thing was done and there was the policeman to prove it we'll give you five hundred dollars they said to clear out and say no more about it 
five hundred dollars when you've advertised three thousand i cried what do you take me for i'll have that three thousand or i'll show you both up a thousand then they said no i retorted three three and look sharp and look here i added as my glance rested on some of the samples of their paste they had round them i understand the secrets of all these so-called patents of yours there isn't one of them i couldn't imitate take that rabsadab for instance what is it why a compound of horseflesh turnips and popcorn flavored with lazenby's sauce for the infringement of which patent you are liable to prosecution and colored with cochineal and there's the stuff you label iron caster but they shut me up there take your three thousand dollars write us out a receipt for it and clear nine thousand dollars in one day we've done well kelson ejaculated what's the program for tomorrow same as today and plenty of it curtis said pouring himself out another glass of champagne and making a vigorous attack on a chicken i think i'll let you two fellows do all the work tomorrow and content myself here waiter what time's breakfast end of chapter six read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california